Today on this edition of the Forest City Church Podcast, lead pastor Eric Parks has part two of the series titled Subversive with a message, Unity is Not Uniformity. Eric is indebted to Dr. Brian Lawrence and Jamar Tisby for this message. Aria Childers has the introduction. If you asked me what I thought about Black History Month maybe 10 years ago, I probably would have rolled my eyes or gave somewhat of a flippant response just because, you know, being biracial, I grew up, um, although I'm biracial, I grew up still in a lot of white spaces. And so I didn't really even understand or even embraced really my blackness until I was out of high school. There was definitely a bit of an identity shift um, post high school. Like I said, I, I, I left Freeport. I moved to Rockford like probably a week after I graduated high school, ready to get out. And that was probably the first time in my life, so I was like 18, 19 years old, that I'd been in a predominantly black space. It was There was an identity crisis, but, but even just a more of a freedom, I guess, to um, be like, what, what, is it, what does it mean to be to be black? I think growing up, like, as a kid, always feeling too white to be black, too black to be white. Um, and that kind of just being the foundation for a really long time. I think getting out of that bubble where I was raised and going into a new new space physically gave me that opportunity. I know that like even this conversation can be super daunting when we think about well, what, what can I do? What can I do? What choices can I make um, as an individual? I think we throw the term racial reconciliation out a lot but for me I think there's there's two steps or two points to it like one for reconciliation to happen you have to like acknowledge it like you have to acknowledge that there has been a like a rift that there's been a brokenness and then two it's just a commitment to then just like keep growing and move closer together to reconcile a, a, that brokenness you know you have to acknowledge it and then commit to moving forward and, and to reconcile that. What I can get overwhelmed super easily with with this, but there are choices that I can make in my individual lives, whether that is like literally just calling it out when I see it and sticking up for other people of color or marginalized communities and like calling it what it is versus just like turning a blind eye, calling it out when we see it and making other people or showing other people, telling them that it is not um, okay, it's not acceptable. Like that stuff cannot fly anymore. And making other people feel uncomfortable for being racist, like just period. I'd say to change our, our mind, to grow, to any of that, it takes a lot of work and it takes just a lot of honesty with ourselves. I know we, we all have our biases. We, you know, whether you're 20 or whether you're 80, you know, admit maybe where, where you've got it wrong maybe admit where you do have some um, prejudice and just just get honest like nothing is going to change nothing is going to get I guess even just get better until we can we can do that that's great cut that was good girl so I grew up in Granite City Illinois and Granite City is a steel mill town sits right next to St. Louis Missouri. And growing up in Granite City, I was taught a few things about the region that sort of uh, still is with me today. And one of the things I learned from an early age is that if you grow up in Granite City, there is only one baseball team on the planet. It's the St. Louis Cardinals, right? Now listen, listen. I came up, I was born in 1973, 
So I was nine years old when I went to my very first World Series game. My dad took me to game six of the World Series against the Milwaukee Brewers. I got to go to World Series in 85, again in 87. So the St. Louis Cardinals, it isn't like just kind of part of me. I mean, I'm talking about Vince Coleman, Willie McGee, Jack Clark. I mean, this was the crew. This was the hat that I wore. St. Louis Cardinals, through and through. Now, I moved to Rockford some time ago. Found out that when you wear a red hat, you got to be careful where you go. Because this place bleeds blue. Right? Now, you got to know, like, growing up with the red hat, I hated the Cubs, too, just as much as you hated the Cardinals. In fact, there was only two teams we were, we were absolutely encouraged to loathe. It was the New York Mets. We would, they would chant, Mets are pond scum. And the Cubs. This, this team, and for me, I was sort of lucky because in the 80s, this team wasn't very good. Um, <laughs> somebody said they still aren't. Praise you, Lord. Listen. This has stuck with me, because to this day, if you're close to me, I'll use words like, I hate the Cubs. Like, even when I go to Wrigley, and I went to Wrigley this past year, I went when they were playing the White Sox, because I got a root against the Cubs. This, this is my team, and here's the truth. If you grew up a Cubs fan, you feel the same way about the Cardinals, right? You hate the Cardinals. This is how sports work. Now, you can pick it. You can pick any sports, whether it's like uh, the Packers and the Bears, or for me, the Broncos and the Raiders. I mean, this is how we are. But I was thinking a lot about the culture in which we live in. And the truth is, those dividing lines that we see so clearly in sport have become to divide us as a whole country. It's no accident that I picked red and blue. Because what I see these days is a political divide that honestly makes this divide look really, really small. I see people who wear a red hat who say, I don't eat dinner with people in a blue hat. I see people in blue hats who say, I'm not going to have a conversation with a red hat. This has become the way which we exist. Red hats, blue hats. And I want to say something about that as I start into this message because I think if we're not clear from the jump, it might be hard for any of us, regardless of where we find ourselves, to hear the message today. I'm grateful that I grew up and an American. I'm grateful that we have a democracy that we have. I'm grateful for all that, the blessings that has come my way. But, but, I want to be really clear that the message you're going to hear today isn't political, has no political bearing. In fact, I'm going to ask you whichever hat you wear today, if you'll take it off just for a minute. You just take it off for a minute. What you're going to hear today, I'm telling you, this is not a new way of thinking. It's not wokeness. It's not political. Everything we're going to talk about today is straight from this word. It is Bible, and it is discipleship. 
I'm happy to have you wear a blue hat or a red hat, but this is what I want to challenge all my friends that are followers of Jesus, that at the end of the day, who we should be being discipled by, the lens that we should look everything through is not the color of the hat. It's the word on the page. That this is what we're to be discipled by. And so, over the next few minutes, I'm going to ask you to take your hat off. When you're done, you can put it back on. and put your, your hat back on. But for the next few minutes, I want to talk about what I think cuts to the heart of what plagues us as a people. I heard a New Testament scholar, David Silva, say this. He says, we experience less of God's transforming power when we don't seek to be reconciled. It was interesting because Chad started last week, and Chad does speak for me, but I got an email this week. He talked about an email that he got, and I got an email this week that was very upset by the content of the message. And while I won't go into the entirety of the email, there was a a line in the email that helped me understand that we needed to have this conversation today, that we had to take the Bible, open it up, and see what it has to say. Because the challenge was, why is it that you're picking out one people group to celebrate? Doesn't God love everybody? And the truth is, of course he does. God loves everybody everybody. But the question I'm asking is, do we? So, if you have your Bible, this is going to be heavy Bible. I'm just going to rip through heavy, heavy Bible today. And my hope is, is that by the time we're done, you can see how reconciliation is at the core of the New Testament. If you flip to Ephesians chapter 2, I want to start by affirming the reality that most of us think about when we think about the gospel, that truth that God loves everyone, and that is true. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, the first 10 verses begin to dissect that reality. Now, look what the Apostle Paul says. It's absolutely brilliant. Now, it's going to be on the side screens, and this is stuff that we've come to familiarize ourselves with when it comes to the gospel. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. He says, once... He's reminding us the truth about the cross, this cross. He says, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. And all of us, all of us, every single one of us used to live that way, right? He's saying, hey, let's be real clear. Every single one of us fallen short. He goes on and says, now we used to follow the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Again, I love that the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, don't think you're too good. Don't think you're too good. He says, but God was so rich in his mercy. He's reminding us of this. He was so rich. He loved us so much that even though we were dead, because of our sins, he gave us life. When he raised Christ from the dead, and it's only by God's grace that you've been saved. Nothing you've done. I was thinking about merit-based scholarships. I think so often I'm reminded that God's scholarships aren't merit-based. 
It's just true, right? It's not what you did, it's what he did on the cross. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. This is the gospel message. For he, was, he, he raised us from the dead along with Christ. And then he seated him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. And he did this. So God can point to, to us in all future ages as examples of, of his incredible wealth, of his grace and kindness towards us as shown in all that he's done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. God saved you by grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things you've done. And that's so none of us can boast. For we are his masterpiece, created a new in Christ Jesus, so we can do things that he planned for us long ago. See, when I hear that, most of us, we go, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus died on this cross so that you and me could be reconciled with him, that, that we're adopted into the family of God, right? This, like, first-rate security. You and me, we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We're secure in Christ. We were sinful, kind of broken people, and God comes and rescues us. Most of us get that. And when we talk about people in the world, we're like, well, of course. God wants that for everybody. He wants that for everybody. Black and brown and white, young and old, man and woman. We get this vertical nature of reconciliation. And so often when we think of the gospel, that's the only part of the gospel that we think about because we oftentimes stop. In fact, our Bibles are all broken. The paragraph is broken right after verse 11 or right before verse 11. So we pause. But here's the truth. If you don't keep reading, you miss the second piece of the gospel. You don't have a full picture of the gospel. So what does the Apostle Paul say in verses 11? Now listen, this is the second piece. He says, now, don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Now when he says Gentile, this is an ethnic term. He's talking about ethnicity. He's saying you were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews. The Jews made fun of you. They were proud of their circumcision, even though it affected their bodies and not their hearts. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship because of who they were, their ethnicity. You were excluded from citizenship among the people in Israel. And you didn't even know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, now listen, listen, but now, you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far from God, but now you've been brought near to him. Now here it is, here it is. For Christ himself has brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people. Now look, you, you can take whatever you want here. You can insert black or brown. Whatever you wanna do, this is an ethnic reconciliation peace that the Apostle Paul is talking about when he talks about the cross. 
He says he united Jews and Gentiles into one people when in his own body on the cross, he broke down the walls of hostility that separate us. He did this by ending the system of the law with his commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from two groups. One new people in him from two groups. Together as one body, Christ reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross. And our hostility towards each other put to death. He brought this good news to peace to you Gentiles who were far away from him and peace to the Jews who were near. Now all of us can come to the Father through the same Holy Spirit because what Christ has done for us, and then listen what he says, it's so beautiful. In verse 20, he says, together, together, we are this house. You see, the gospel is certainly about my reconciliation with God, absolutely. But it is also about our reconciliation to each other. That the cross came to bridge that. In fact, why the cross is so beautiful is you can use it as a visual aid. That cross is definitely up and down, me and God, you and God, but it is also side to side. The things that have broken us apart it's meant to bring us back together. You know, New Testament scholars will tell you that reconciliation was at the heart of Paul's theology. In fact, when you go through the Bible, you, you are hard-pressed to find an epistle where he's not talking about racial and ethnic reconciliation within the church. This was what he was doing all the time, writing letters going, hey, 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 y'all, y'all need to get to church together. Hey, y'all, you need to reconcile to each other. Hey, I know, I know you don't like each other. I know your customs aren't the same. Too bad, get together, build a church this way. And it's interesting, because if you look at his life, you see Paul did the same thing. It's so cool, like, what Paul would do on his missionary journeys when he was going to found a church. He did the same thing, he ran the same playbook. He would show up in a region, right? You can see this in Acts chapter 17 when he heads to Athens or in Acts chapter 19 when he goes to Corinth or you can see this when he heads to Ephesus. What he would do is he would hit a community and he would ask, where are all the Jews? Well, he knew they were at the synagogue, so he's like, where's the synagogue? So he'd get to the synagogue, and there he would spit Torah, right? He would chop it up with his brothers. He'd lead them to Jesus, and the next thing he did, next thing, he'd say, now, where all the Gentiles hang out, right? So like for him, it was in Athens, he went to Mars Hill. In Ephesus, he went to the Hall of Tyrannius. He said, where are the Gentiles? Where are the other people? Where are the people you don't associate with? Oh, they're over there. That's where I'm going. So he went to the Gentiles, and then he'd chop it up with them, and he'd lead them to Jesus. But what Paul does next is a model. Because on the surface, wouldn't it just be easy to leave those people alone? Say, look, you know Jesus, you love him. 
right? He's reconciled you, Gentiles. He's reconciled you, Jews. Just build your old churches, your own churches, because y'all don't get along much. Y'all just gonna fight. It's all gonna be a mess. Build two separate churches, two separate things. Build that, do that. But Paul doesn't. Paul over and over and over keeps saying, no, 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 no. You have to pull it together. You have to put it together. The reason why, folks, we're not gonna have two separate churches because there isn't two gods. It's just one. We're all reconciled to him. This is why he says in Ephesians 2.15 that he might create in himself one new man in place of two, right? See, our unity, our unity is actually a witness to the fact that God the Father sent Jesus to rescue the world. I'm so indebted to Dr. Brian um, Loritz. He's written significantly about racial reconciliation, but he says this when he talks about ethnic unity, when he says, Paul tethers ethnic unity to the cross. See, the gospel isn't just this, it's also this. And this is important. Because if the Apostle Paul doesn't tie this to theology, then what we can be left with is like, oh, ethnic unity, that's just the thing you're on, dude. That's a style thing. I don't want any of that. It's a political thing. It's whatever hat you wear, whether you're blue or red. It's whatever it is. It's, that's, that's not our thing, man. But see, the Apostle Paul doesn't give us an out. He ties it to the cross. And one of the most beautiful aspects I think that he ties to the gift of salvation is reconciliation. Michael Byrd, who's a New Testament scholar, he writes about it this way. He said, the gospel is lived out when Christians practice reconciliation. I love that idea of practicing reconciliation, and we practice it among themselves and exemplify it before their neighbors, the ambassadors of reconciliation. The Apostle Paul, I believe in Corinthians, calls us ambassadors of reconciliation. Isn't that like such a cool thing? That Jesus says, look, I'm gonna raise you to life. I'm gonna bring you out of your sin. I'm going to give you a purpose and a plan. And now you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make you an ambassador of reconciliation to this whole world. You get to go do that too. Now, it's hard work. But this is what you're called to. This is the gospel. It's not style. It's gospel. It's theology. In fact, I really do believe that the multi-ethnic church is one of the most profound apologetics for the veracity of the gospel. When you walk by and you see people, man, that have like blue hats and red hats. They come from all parts of town. Black, brown, white, young, old, poor, rich. When they sit in one space and they love each other, it is absolutely profound to the rest of the world because where else is that happening, folks? Where else? 
we tend to gravitate toward same. And I get it. This is the way we have for millennia. But this is why Jesus came. He did. To reconcile us to each other and to him. And what happens is, is when it begins to play out, the world takes notice. The world takes notice that, as the Apostle Paul said, he's made us both one and that he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility between us. Jesus would say it this way because, you know, I love Jesus for lots of reasons, man. When I read Jesus, I was reading last week, I got totally sidetracked because I've been thinking a lot about Lent. Lent's coming up and we're actually gonna be doing a teaching series as a community where we walk through this ancient practice of reduction. But I was thinking about Passover and it was funny because six days before Passover meal that Jesus takes his last one, the last supper, he's going to a party. Jesus is always going to a party. You notice that in scripture? Like he's always going to a party. He's always going like to a good, good food. He starts his ministry at a table, ends it at a table. I'm like, dude, I just, I'm a seven on the Enneagram. So I'm like always wanting to be at a party, right? I'm like, I want to be at a party. I want to be, this is, this is my guy, Jesus. But Jesus knew he was dealing also with a guy like me who just isn't all that smart. And so I feel like when he gives this commandment in John, chapter 13, verse 34, he said, let me tell you what it's supposed to look like if you want to follow me, right? He says, this new command I give you, it's a command, not a suggestion, not a, well, maybe if you feel like it. No, no, I'm going to give you a command. And it's really, really simple. Love one another as I have loved you. And then looks what he says. He says, and by this, everybody will know you're my disciple. Not because you wear a right hat. Not because you have good things to say. Not because you know bunches and bunches of verses. And that's fine. It's good. But he said, they're going to know you. But the kind of communities you create, the spaces you force yourself into, the way in which you love and stand up for each other, that's how they'll know. They'll know how you love each other. I love this quote, Dr. Darwin Gray says, if this Christ-exalting life were to become our reality, I believe suspicion and mistrust would be abandoned and replaced with love for each other. This is the great unifier of all Christians. And let me say, there are no caveats. Now, you don't have to be a disciple of Jesus. You get to choose. You you can choose like, if you wanna wear and use this as your first lens or that as your first lens. That's a choice that you get to make. But if you choose to follow Jesus and give your life to him, There are no carve-outs, caveats to this great commandment. You don't get to take a pass. You you have to make room for the outsider. You have to have long tables and real low walls. We're forced to understand 
to defend those that need defending. Love has a stand with brothers and sisters of Christ who feel oppression, whether in our backyard or on the other side of the world. This is our call. And do we have to agree on everything? No, no, we won't. Unity doesn't mean uniformity. The Apostle Paul never looked at the Gentile and said, well, act like a Jew. He never looked at the Jew and said, act like a Gentile. It wasn't about uniformity. That's what made it beautiful. It wasn't uniform. It was like this tapestry, and nobody in the world could figure it out. They're like, wait, wait, what? How? Because of that. It, it, it was that. Reconciliation. Last week, in the email that I received, someone said, they had said, but you can't tell someone what to believe. They were raised by their mother and their father a certain way. You, it's how they believe. And you, I said, no, actually... That's not true at all. If we're disciples of Jesus, however we were raised, Jesus is asking us to change our mind, to have it reformed into the likeness of his. No, no, it's the foundation of our faith is to change. In fact, you know what repentance means, right? Is you're heading a certain way, and at some moment you wake up and realize you're heading the wrong way. Repent just means to turn around. You go, oh, I need to align this with him. Oh, you better believe we need to change the way we believe because what humans are good at about the only thing we're really, really good at is like oppressing and killing one another. No, no, listen, listen. We sometimes think that the, the issue of racial reconciliation specifically plagues the United States, but the truth is, I was talking to my, my brother in Christ, first-generation first Indian pastor, in Colorado, and he's like, Parker, bro, America doesn't have a, a corner on racial problems. He goes, it's everywhere. In India, he goes, I'm Pashtun. That's how I grew up. There are certain places that I can't go. They're my people, and I can't go there. There's, he goes, you, you could never marry someone from a different area. You could never from a different caste. He goes, listen, this idea of, of race being dividing, oh, it's in us. And the cross is the only thing that can get it out of us. It's not an option. I'm, it's not debatable. It's, it's just not. Not if you want to be a disciple. It's not debatable. The only question that I have as your pastor is will you be obedient and accept your divine invitation to walk in your calling as a reconciler? Because you're called to do that, follower of Jesus, at all cost. This is what the Apostle Paul spent his ministry doing. It is central to the gospel. And let me say, with as much love in my heart is that you should know that as the pastor of this place, as long as I get to be, which who knows? I mean, y'all can run me out of town real fast. 
But as long as I'm here, racial reconciliation, I see this as a core gospel issue, so I'm not gonna stop talking about it. And I'm not gonna stop preaching about it. And I'm not gonna stop living it. I'm just going to do that. And it's okay. Look, listen, you might, some of you might be like, I gotta send you an email. Totally cool. For real, eric.parks at forestcitychurch.com. Send me an email. Tell me what's on your mind. You're a follower of Jesus. You're like, I don't know if I agree. Okay, cool. Let's chop it up. Let's get together. Let's take our hats off for a minute. Let's just open up the word. Let's see what it says. Let's let it penetrate our hearts. Let's see what happens when the Holy Spirit starts getting in. Email me. It's cool. You, know, you don't have to always like me. But I'm telling you that as long as I'm here, Racial reconciliation as gospel, this is a hill that I'm going to die on as your pastor. That's what I'm gonna do until you cut me loose. And here's what I'm asking of you. Come with me. Come with me. Let's go be reconcilers. Don't you think Rockford needs it? You think Rockford needs it? You think Rockford needs spaces, right? It's not woke. This isn't politic, politic, politics. This is as old as the Bible. This is like as old as the New Testament. It's the cornerstone. It's the beginning. In fact, if you look, Acts chapter 2. We know about Acts chapter 242. Church gets formed. But see, what we've been starting to discover is, oh, oh, there's actually another piece. It's when the church goes to Antioch. When the church goes to Antioch in Acts chapter 13, that's when it becomes multi-ethnic. Oh, no, look at, look at the first four names that are listed. Acts chapter 13, verse one. Four ethnic minorities as apostles. Luke is saying, oh, Paul, I know you and Peter have been like trying to figure out what's gonna happen. This is what the church is gonna look like. Acts chapter 13, multi-ethnic, all people, all socioeconomic backgrounds, all genders, all of it, all in my house. That's the house I'm building. Acts chapter 13, that's the community we're going to build come hell or high water. That's what we're going to build because we need it. I was thinking about this and I end with this. I don't know, maybe you get, like I'm getting older. I pretend a lot, but I'm way closer to 50 than I am to 40. I don't know, as you get older, you start looking at your life and you start saying, man, what, what I want it to be about and what matters and what do I want my children to remember about their father? And you, know, you ask yourself the things that matter most and things I thought mattered in my 30s, I'm realizing, oh, maybe they didn't matter nearly as much as I thought. And, and it was interesting because when I said yes to the role here at the church, I knew I was gonna have to commute and I was traveling back and forth from Colorado. Many of you know that. I decided to live downtown in the Talcott building. Talcott used to be an office space, y'all remember it, but they turned it into apartments. And when I started inviting some of my new friends to come with me on this journey, they were like, well, where should we live? And I'm like, well, I don't know. I'm living in the Talcott. Well, this is what you need to also know about a seven on the Enneagram. They don't like being by themselves. So I was like, well, maybe y'all should live in the same building I live in. And so like Carrington moved in and Charmon moved in and then Ari moved in and then Lauren moved in. Like pretty soon we were the entire seventh floor. 
You'll hear us talk about the seventh floor because basically most of the time I was either feeding Charmant because I was afraid that young man was going to die eating ramen noodles every day. Um, <laughs> or we were having, hanging out, right? Just late at night, hanging out, chopping it up. And one night was in January of last year. Or maybe it was February because it was about a year from this point. We had done this songwriters thing and there were like 40 people that were hanging out in this tiny little apartment, 40 of us. And I'm sitting on a windowsill and next to me sits a guy you've seen around. His name is James and James leads at our Elgin campus once a month. And James is um, proudly Asian American. It was this moment in time too when so much was, was happening to people he knew who were Asian in our country, right? A lot, of, a lot of violence, a lot of hate. And he sat on the windowsill next to me and we were just sitting there not even talking for a good two, three minutes when he looked over, he goes hey Parker I'm like, yeah he goes, where else in the world is this happening? And I said, by what do you mean, young man? He said, look around this room. There's black, there's brown, there's white, there's young, there's old, there's rich, there's poor. He goes, where else is this happening? He goes, but the seventh floor in Rockford, Illinois? I was like... And for a long time, we held on to that seventh floor idea as all of these people from all different walks of life just started breaking bread and swirling together. And what Steve Carter so brilliantly said, he goes, seventh floor, Parks, don't you understand? Seventh floor, all that is is like Acts chapter 13 was the original seventh floor. You didn't do anything special. You're just living gospel. And when you live gospel, it tastes right. It feels good. You know something's happening. Seventh floor, something happened. But here's what's so cool is you could be a part of this. And I'm asking you, will you go with me? I said the first weekend I was here, I was going to create a church for anyone and everyone. I told you what I was going to do. I told you what I was going to do. Now, some of you are like, yeah, I didn't know really, though. I told you. And I'm asking you, come with me. Three simple things. I'm going to close in prayer. Number one. If you want to go with us, start learning. We're going to put some books, resources you can read about, like, how do we become reconcilers? But I love this book. It's by Jamar Tisby. It's called How to Fight Racism, Contagious Christianity, and the Journey Towards Racial Justice. This right here is beautifully written, so informative, has a study, maybe a book like this. Number two, maybe you'll start to pray. God, open my eyes to the spaces that I'm in. Where I can start inviting people into my own seventh floor. And maybe three is to create seven floors. Look, you don't need this church to make small groups for you. You are communal by nature, human. It's what you do. This is what we've been doing for a long time. You don't need small groups. Now, we're going to do some stuff like the sports ministry. But what if you jumped in and started making little havens, seventh floor havens where people from all walks of life who come into your space and break bread with you. And maybe it starts by bringing them to our church, but it can't end there. 
you understand like being a disciple isn't coming to church on Sunday only, right? It's learning to conform our lives to the ways of Jesus every day, right? In all things. This is the journey we're on. And I'm asking you, will you come with me? Will you come help me change this? It's really not me. Will you join Jesus in the work that he's so graciously called you into? I really do believe that the church should be the most united group of people the planet has ever seen. And I absolutely believe that unity as a witness for the rest of the world that God is real and God is good. We have to have it. We have to have it. Lord, I pray for my friends this day. Give us courage to walk toward the idea of racial reconciliation as gospel and that we get to be ambassadors. Help my friends see that they get to be ambassadors of reconciliation in every piece of ground they put their foot on, every office space, every schoolyard, every conversation, every table, and that when we do, the full power of the cross is on display. God, may your Holy Spirit help us as we live out the gospel in this day, in this space, in this city. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. You've been listening to Eric Parks with a message, Unity is Not Uniformity, which is part two of the series titled Subversive. Thanks for listening.